seated. Well, this morning we are going to, I'm going to take all of you uh, to what is known as a pastor's conference or a pastor's and Christian workers conference. And the beautiful thing about the conference that we're going to go to today is that we don't have to get on a plane to get there. And any reason not to get on a plane is a wonderful thing. We don't have to fuel up the car, drive across the state or into another state. We don't have to rent a car. We don't have to pay any fees. We don't have to do any of those things. And the speaker of our pastor's conference or our Christian leader's conference is none other than the Apostle Peter. You can't get better than that to have one of the apostles speak to us in this particular uh, realm of things. And here is Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who just stops and again, he writes in this letter, so seasoned, you think about what he has seen, what he has heard in his Christian life, what he's witnessed in the body of Christ, what he's witnessed of the ministry of the Lord. And so he then sits down, again inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he shares his thoughts, his exhortations to Christian leaders about what kind of leaders they are to be among God's people. Well, that's priceless. If you could arrange for a conference today and truthfully advertise the Apostle Peter as the main speaker, you would have pastors and elders and Christian workers come from all over the United States and around the world in such a number that I would dare say you could not find a single venue in the United States with which to hold the crowd that would want to come and listen to him. And yet every time we want to, any time we want to, be enter into going to a conference, going to a leadership conference, a pastor's conference. All we have to do is open up the Bible to First Peter chapter 5, read these first four verses, and we have the things that Peter would speak in that kind of an audience. Now, I fully recognize that not everyone in the body of Christ is a pastor. And not everyone is an elder. Not everyone is a leader. So you can sit here this morning and think to yourself, Well, why should this be of any interest to me? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader. I'm not an elder. So what does this have to do with me at all? It has a lot to do uh, with you, and it is important to you, for at least two reasons, if there were no other reasons. Number one, so that you will know what God expects of his leaders, so that when you see that happening in a local church, or in any church, you will recognize it for the good thing that it is and then appreciate it. And appreciation is an important characteristic in any person's life, but certainly in a Christian's life too. On the other end of the spectrum, it's important to know what God expects of his leaders so that if you find yourself in a so-called Christian environment or ministry in which his standard is being badly violated and willfully violated, that you would realize that it is okay between you and God not to give that ministry or to give that leader your trust or your support. So these are things that are important, and it's in the Word of God because it's important to 
all of us. And we should control who we allow to be an influence in our lives on the basis of a biblical standard, and leaders are no different. We notice that Peter addresses this uh, part of his letter to elders there in verse 1, which raises the question, of course, what in the world is an elder? And an elder, elders are men who provide spiritual leadership to a church. That makes them a little different than deacons, which is another office in the church. The the focus of a deacon is upon the physical things of the church. So you notice that you come in uh, every Sunday into this room, and if you come into all of the different rooms of uh, on the church grounds on any given day of the week. The carpet is uh, vacuumed. The seats are clean. There's no trash around. The campus or the church grounds are, are well-maintained. And you're looking at the, uh, somebody being faithful or some group of pe- people being faithful to God's calling upon their lives. And so elders are mature men who demonstrate, are to demonstrate solid Christian Character And the qualifications for an elder are given by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, also in the book of Titus chapter 1. Peter doesn't get into any of that. He assumes that all of that is already in place in their lives. And so he moves on to other exhortations and other encouragements related to and speaking to the leaders. I think that it's very important to realize that The office of an elder in the body of Christ is a calling of God. And a person either has that calling or they don't have that calling. It isn't a superior calling to anybody else's calling. It's a significant calling, and it it may be different than others, but like all callings, God gives the calling. He does the calling. Nobody can wake up one morning and say, through education... Um, through self-effort or even manipulation and striving and say, say to themselves, I think I'm going to become an elder at the church that I attend. And somehow this idea that I can somehow in my own effort attain to that office or that, that calling, it doesn't work that way. The calling, uh, uh, the calling is a calling from God and he gives it to whoever he wants and uh, it'll almost always mystify us. We'll think, why in the world did he call him? Why did he call them? And it's supposed to mystify us so that when we see something good coming out of such lives, we'll give God the glory. Now, this calling of God is to be recognized by godly men and godly leaders when it's present in a person's life and then uh, they acknowledge the calling of God in a, in a man's life, and thus they uh, then give him an opportunity to grow in that calling. And so we see it continually in the book of Acts, which is a history of the early church, where the apostles would go out, they would establish a church in a particular city, and then as the church people would mature in that church, in their faith, sometimes they'd come back, in a matter of months, sometimes a matter of years, and then uh, discover who has this call upon their lives. They've grown into a Christian maturity. They're uh, showing signs of having this calling, and then they would appoint elders within the church to now spiritually oversee and, and direct uh, the church. And, of course, that, <clears throat> that recognition of God's calling uh, 
and the appointing of elders in the church was very often accompanied by prayer and fasting as we see in the scriptures. I think as it relates to my own experience, I didn't wake up one morning and say, all right, I'm going to leave the town that I live in and I'm going to self-appoint myself to uh, become an elder and move to Modesto and, and start a church there. When we came, uh, when I came to uh, plant a church here in Modesto, I was sent by a church. I was sent by Calvary Chapel of Napa. After the elders felt that I had served alongside them for a long enough period of time, that they believed that there was a call upon my life for that kind of a position, and then after prayer and all, uh, the church sent me out, recognized the calling, and sent me out uh, to go ahead and see what in the world might happen. And, of course, this church has uh, been in existence for 26 years or so, and so we've had the privilege of doing the same thing with many other people, many other pastors that we recognize. Uh, they have a calling of God upon their lives, and then to send them out into different cities and all and to plant those churches and also many, many missionaries into the field following uh, the same model. In the early church, and I think it's important for today, it's important that... Uh, elders, it's important that missionaries, it's important that pastors, that these men be sent by someone, by some church. In Acts chapter 13, in the church at Antioch, we're told that even the Apostle Paul was sent out. The Apostle Paul didn't just wake up one day and say, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm going to go do whatever I want. Uh, he was active in ministry there in the city of Antioch, which was a hub of Christian uh, kind of a uh, Christian hub in, in the Roman Empire at that time. And he was sent out to his missionary journeys by the leadership of the Church of Antioch. Even Paul was sent out in that way and, and to, to then begin a series of three missionary journeys that would literally change the world at that time and, and change uh, all of human uh, history. And, and so he was sent, and people should be sent by those that recognize, by godly men, godly leaders who recognize such a call upon a person's life. I would have a, a deep concern about any pastor or any elder or any missionary who was not sent out by the spiritual leadership of some church. Um, we do know that there are exceptions to that rule historically, I think of um, Hudson Taylor, who became one of the greatest missionaries in history from England to China. And because of the structure of Christianity, not based upon the Bible, but uh, based upon kind of man's ideas and traditions and, and wisdom, kind of being attached to all of this, um, sending out missionaries became, uh, you know, they made it more demanding than, and added other criteria than the Bible had. And so they missed the call of God upon Hudson Taylor's life. And so he was forced, and there are many like this in history. They're not the majority by any stretch of the imagination, a very small minority. But they knew that God had called them, so they went out. They did what they believed God had called them to do without a, a blessing of a denomination or a non-denomination. And then the fruit that 
followed that became kind of God's stamp of approval upon their lives. But that's the exception rather than the rule. As a rule, the man who cannot find godly men who recognize this calling and this gifting in his life and are uh, wi- and, and can't find men who are willing to send them out, attaching their blessing and their reputation uh, to him as a result, usually something is wrong there. I want us to also notice in verse 1 that Peter gives us his qualifications for offering these exhortations. And the qualifications are three. He describes himself as a fellow elder. He describes himself as a witness of the suffering of Christ, and then finally as a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And he's probably talking there about the fact that he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with James and John and saw Jesus in his eternal glory. It's interesting to notice that in his listing of qualifications, he mentions that he he makes mention of his being an apostle at the beginning of the letter, but when he talks to these pastors here, he's not pulling out the title of an apostle. Um, He certainly doesn't think of himself as a pope or an early pope. He doesn't speak of himself in those terms. I don't say that as a cheap shot. I say that for serious consideration. The the qualifications that he gives for speaking this out um, and speaking to these fellow elders, and there's two qualifications that he gives, is number one, his relationship with Jesus, that he had a long history of knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord, and then number two, his long experience as an elder himself. And I think those are the two things that if you walk into an elders kind of conference or pastor's conference, that's a bare minimum requirement in a person's life for anyone to listen to them. They have a long, intimate, fruitful relationship with the Lord Jesus himself and that they also have had a fruitful, long history uh, in their uh, calling And without those, a person really doesn't have much to say. But, of course, Peter had all of that and more in spades. Now, we move on to his exhortations and his encouragements. And the first encur- exhortation he gave in verse 2 is that elders are to shepherd the flock of God. So this includes feeding people in the sense of teaching the Bible giving spiritual food, and that's what the Word is, what food is, physical food is to the human body, the Word of God is to our, our, who we are spiritually. But it, but it also includes not just the public handling of the Word like I'm doing right now, but it also involves an individual ministry of the Word where perhaps after a service you would come up to one of the pastors or the others that are up in front and you say, I have a question biblically about this, or I have this problem in my life. What does the Bible say about this? Or you come during the week into the office and you meet with one of the pastors for counseling and they minister to you one-on-one through the Word of God. That's a ministry of the Word. It also includes tending or caring for people. It also has the shepherding, has the idea of protecting people. All of these are important roles uh, of the shepherd. And, and so uh, the, like the body of Christ as a whole... The local church is a living thing. The church is a living thing. Because it's a living thing, it requires constant attention. 
It's not like a factory where you walk into this great warehouse or this great plant and there's machines all over the place. Monday comes, you get in there at 7 o'clock, flip the switches, and all the electricity starts to roll. The machines gear up and they start to move and, and all. In that situation, machines require maintenance for sure. But it is a relatively small amount of maintenance compared to the maintenance that people require. The church is not a factory. It's not made up of inanimate objects. It's made up of people. And people are complicated things. And people are needy things. And I include myself in that description. And so there is a need for shepherds. There is a need for elders to people to oversee and to try and help people and in the body of Christ, for individuals to grow in our relationship with the Lord and then for the church to grow into what it's supposed to be in the community that God has planted us in. This also means, when he talks about elders shepherding the flock of God, this means that someone who's called to be a shepherd will like to be around the sheep. Sometimes there's a discussion that pastors have in terms of church leadership, and that is what are the requirements that you put upon uh, a on an elder in a local church. Not talking about the lists that are in the pastoral epistles, but... Uh, what kind of demands can you make upon them personally? Um, do you require that they attend any and all services uh, throughout, you know, the entire week? Do you require that they attend the Sunday morning Bible study and the Sunday evening Bible study? And then whatever they want beyond that or just the Sunday morning uh, Bible study alone and they're free to come or not come as it relates to the Sunday uh, evening Bible study? And so these are things that people wrestle with a little bit. Now, personally, I would never consider someone for the position of an elder or a shepherd in this flock who does not at least attend the Sunday morning service and then also the Sunday evening service. And not because they've been told that they must, but because they want to out of their own personal relationship with the Lord. And the reason that I would require that, I may not verbalize it, but I'll watch for it. And if I don't see it, there's no movement. And the reason is, is that when God calls someone to be an elder or to be a shepherd, it means they're going to have a desire to be around sheep. And when I don't see a strong desire to be around sheep, then I have to wonder whether there's a calling of an elder or a shepherd upon that life. And so they may have mountains of Bible knowledge. They may have incredible experience in their Christian life. But if they don't particularly care for sheep, or they don't like to hang around them or be around them, then I doubt the the calling of an elder or a shepherd upon their lives. We notice, too, the phrase there where Peter speaks about us as God's people as being the flock of God. And Peter is reminding leaders like me of the fact that the flock does not belong to them, but that the flock belongs to God. And that's always a good reminder for leaders. It it always kind of sets us in our place, even if we've begun to move a little bit in terms of a wrong attitude or or a wrong perception. As Peter brings out in verse 4, we are at best under shepherds 
to the great shepherd, Jesus, over the flock. We just do what he tells us to do related to the local church. Sometimes when uh, we talk, pastors talk with one another or maybe even, you know, broader than one another, and sometimes we can get into the habit of referring to the church that we pastor as my church. So we'll say, my church is planning such and such an outreach. Or at my church, we're having this Christmas program. And we all know what they're saying. I don't, know, I don't personally know any pastor that thinks the church belongs to them and doesn't understand that it's a blood-bought church and it wasn't bought by their blood. And, and so we, we know that they're basically saying the church that I pastor. But I get a little bit, when I look at something uh, like that, anything that even slightly nurtures within me the idea that this is my church and not God's church, then I tend to want to be very, very careful about that. And so if I begin to say something like that, I'll catch myself, or we converse with one another as elders or pastors and to refer to the church either by name, you know, Calvary Temple or Calvary Chapel or what crossroads or whatever it might be, and, and refer to it by name, or the church that I pastor, or the church. And I think, I think it's a, a, a good thing uh, to be careful in, in that area. And, and Paul, when he wrote, uh, he spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, uh, he drove it home in a strong way, and it is a good reminder. He said to them, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all of the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And that's a very, very good reminder, especially given the tendency that any of us can have, and sometimes even especially as leaders, uh, toward pride. You notice he tells us that elders are not to serve out of compulsion, but willingly. Not supposed to serve out of a sense of obligation or because some kind of outward pressure is being placed upon us to do that, but we're to do it willingly. And so we're not, it's not because we have to do it, but we do it because we want to do it. In other words, they, the elder uh, doesn't need to be motivated or kept pumped up in their calling. They're already motivated out of their relationship with the Lord. And, and with that calling, there will be that kind of, of a motivation. No one has the strength to motivate other people. And no leaders have the strength to keep a group of elders or a single elder motivated in their calling. Part of having the maturity to have that calling is that they're going to be motivated out of their own, again, their relationship with the Lord to do what it is that God has called them uh, to do. And that motivation must come from the Lord. When Peter speaks about not by compulsion but willingly, he's certainly also uh, speaking against any kind of laziness uh, in an elder. Uh, anyone that needs uh, to have someone over their shoulder all the time 
or always pressuring them or developing some gigantic structure of accountability around their lives in order to get some work or some, you know, effort out of them, then that person just clearly is, is not uh, an, an elder. And, and so people that need that kind of maintenance, then they either have the call of an elder, but they haven't developed uh, enough self-discipline and, and an awe of God related to the calling upon their lives, and that's in the works, or they're not called at all. I kid every so often, but occasionally I am approached by someone who will say something like this to me. Pastor, I've been fired from my last three jobs And I think it's God's way of telling me I'm supposed to be a pastor or I'm called to be a missionary. He just won't let me be successful in secular work. When I hear that, I'm looking for the nearest door out of that room that that I can get out of. If a person is lazy or undisciplined and does not have their own motivation between them and God enough to hold on to a job, they will never, ever be successful in, in, uh, in being uh, an elder. So there's no place in God's work for lazy, unfaithful people because this is not a calling where you can drop the ball and then just shrug your shoulders and say, Oh, well, there's too much at stake that's eternal in, in this particular calling uh, for that. And so God's call is important, but it has to also be coupled with a human willingness. Notice he says in verse 2 that we're not to do this for dishonest gain, but eagerly. No one should want to become an elder or a leader in a local church or in the larger body of Christ Go into the ministry for money. The only motivation that is is worthy of that calling is a love for God and a love for people. And it's a love for God and a love for people that is absolutely unshakable. It's supernatural, and you recognize it to be such in a, in, in, a person does in their own life. This doesn't mean, as some people sometimes teach, that an elder or a pastor can't be supported by a local church, but it does mean that he doesn't do it for the money. In other words, it's not a profession where he sits down and says, all right, what's the compensation package? How much do I get a year? What's the benefit package that goes with this? And then they decide whether they're going to obey the calling or not. When a person has this calling on their life, they're going to do it anyway. And so it isn't looking for financial security or some kind of nice little safe a secure place to live out my three score and ten. You ever watch any of those uh, British movies, those BBC movies and stuff? I'm not putting them down at all. But you know, back, way back, you know the Pride and Prejudice deal and they've got the things and the whole and, and Darcy and the whole, you know the whole thing. And uh, so they got this deal. And they, you ever notice how in all those movies, how they portray the parson, the pastor, He's the nitwit or the just the cannot do anything person in the whole village. And then somehow, you know, they've got to, he's got to keep food on the table and have a roof over his head, but he's not going to amount to much anywhere else. And so 
why don't you go into the ministry? You'll never become rich, you'll never become famous, but you'll never want. And so you see these uh, oftentimes highly unspiritual people taking these positions, and historically it was so. The positions that would be taken for the money uh, or for the, the security. But it, it isn't a, a profession at all. It's a calling, and a person will do that calling whether they're compensated financially uh, or not. And, and Paul, writing about this kind of irresistible urge associated with a calling, wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And in, in this, I think that the way that God has led uh, Calvary Chapel movement for church planting up to this point, I think that it has served this work of the Holy Spirit very, very well. Most Calvary chapels start out when a single individual believes they have a call upon, of God upon their lives to go start a church somewhere. And they go out with the spiritual blessing of the church that they go out from. But they go into that community and they find work, or if it's in the community they're still living, they hold on to their jobs, they begin the Bible study, and so they teach the Bible study, the church begins to grow, turns into a church, all these things, while they're holding down uh, their job as well in order to keep food uh, on, on the table. And it's, that's a very, very demanding uh, season in a person's life. But one of the great things about it is it weeds out the love for money. It really tests a person on whether they are in this for the money or not. And the reason that it's a great test is because at that point in time, there is no money to be worried about. It's all the love of God and, and the love of people. And I, I know some guys think that it's kind of too brutal uh, of a model for church planning and that it makes it so hard on people that sometimes uh, good men with legitimate calls upon their life kind of get crushed in, in that uh, crucible, so to speak, and, and, so, and that sometimes we lose good men that way. And I understand all that, and, 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 I, and I can agree that that, that really can uh, happen. And, and so some feel that somebody ought to be sent out, you know, with a, that everybody ought to be sent out with a full uh, salary package and a benefit package and, and so that people don't have to be concerned about those kinds of things. They rarely line up to provide that, though. Um, usually they want somebody else to provide that. And so they say this is how it should be done to make it a little bit easier for them. And I think there's a lot of different ways that God can work on it. But I'll tell you, I do not pity the man who goes out with a belief and a calling upon his life that he's an elder or he's a pastor to start a church and the only thing he has is God. And what happens between that man and God and the establishing of a work, he will prize more than money for the rest of his life. And I wouldn't want to rob anybody of the blessing of what happens there. Hard? Boy, it's hard. But something very, very good happens 
and the, at the very least that this it weeds out those that think this might be an easy way to make a living or a comfortable way of life. Now, in light of Peter's exhortation here about this going into this for dishonest gain, uh, it, it makes us realize that there always have been and there always will be people who desire a position of leadership in a church or to become a pastor or to become an elder for the purpose of then leveraging that position into financial gain. And that, that happens all the time all over the world. This is a very widespread problem. And what I want to say to those of you who don't know the Lord yet, and you perhaps have seen some of that maybe on television or, or whatever kind of deal, or you, maybe you've seen the abuse uh, firsthand and it's turned you off to Christ. You need to understand that Peter is addressing this problem 2,000 years ago and that when you witness that kind of thing in a local church or on international television, they are doing that in spite of the teaching of the Word of God, not because of it. So it's not an excuse to say, it's all about money, I'm not going to go to church. Go to a church where it isn't all about money because there's plenty of those around as well. And so here is this, but there are these people and there are a lot of these people because the love of money is a very strong love in, in the hearts of a lot of people. And so pastors and leaders aren't immune from that. I remember they did that big expose, I don't know if it was Dateline or whatever it was, quite a few years ago on um, all of the televangelists and teachers and all these things that were uh, television ministers that were uh, raking in all kinds of money and they exposed them. They had multiple luxury homes, not only around the United States, but around the world and boats and yachts and luxury cars and salaries and the multiplied millions and the whole thing. I mean, it's just, you know, and so this stuff goes on and Peter rebukes that. I remember one listening to that same show and they had spotlighted one of the guys and I could name his name for you, but I won't. Um, but this guy continues to this very day. He was, he was wounded by the expose, but people still send in fortunes to him. And so uh, he, said, he had a college friend that they interviewed and his college friend said about this guy, he said, when we were in college, he was looking out, he was looking for a way to make a lot of money. And then when he looked at religion, he said, you can make a lot of money in religion. That's how I'm going to do it. That was his motive, not to win souls or for people to get healed or any of these things. It was just a, a racket, an easy way to separate people from their money. I'll tell you, I would not, I don't even want to be near the white throne judgment when uh, some of these people stand in front, when you start to pull God's name and his reputation in to fleece people, I'm going to just be saying, I'm not here, 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 I'm not here. Let me just get through this into the new heaven and the new earth. It's a a frightening thing. But but it does uh, does go on. And and I I remember listening to that when that guy said that. I thought of this passage in, in that light. And so it can be true of some, their motive is being in the ministry for money, but it shouldn't be so. And when Peter says that, but eagerly, it means that even if an elder 
or a pastor doesn't receive a salary. Whether he receives a, even if he receives a salary, he can say before God, God, I would fulfill this calling, salary or no salary, and to know that that's honest between him and God. Notice in verse 3, he said, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. And so here he's warning, Peter's warning against a lust for power. Some people are greedy for money. Other people want power. And leadership can be very, very attractive to a uh, people with a psychological need or something to exercise authority over other people. They want, they want to be the boss. They want to put people in their place, and, and they love to lord it over them. And so Peter warns against this. And I remember in a church that uh, I was involved in before and um, <clears throat> that you, you know, you would, somebody would be a given the title of an elder or a deacon, and there was like a prayer and all those kind of things. And I remember one time that uh, one gentleman that I was serving with was given the prayer and he was given a title. And overnight, I thought Napoleon had been resurrected. <laughs> he just was a little dictator. And it was like, you know, you just wanted to pour holy water out of him, over him and shake him, do an exorcism. You know, give me this guy back. What happened to him? But that power, and he just became like just this little tyrant, bossy person. And he held his title for, I think, about eight days before they were forced to take it away. But he hid this whole side until he got the position. And then, and you see these kind of people in a church, then they got their little area, their little kingdom, and you better not get close to it or they're going to let you have it. And life's too short to mess with that kind of, of a person. I remember years ago being at a pastor's conference where a pastor was exhorting all of us as pastors in this area because we all uh, need to hear it. But uh, he said, uh, something from a different passage, but the same subject. He said, a lot of guys go into the ministry and they pastor Protestant churches for the simple reason uh, that the position of Pope is already filled in the Catholic church. And there's a lot of truth to that. They just, there's just this little potentate and they've got their little thing and they're harsh and, and they, and, and, and crush people, and they're just lords over other people. I remember years ago, some of you might remember too, they had the shepherding movement that was so big for a while in Christianity. And here they gave these shepherds, and here were the shepherds. You couldn't do anything without your shepherd's permission. You couldn't buy a car. You couldn't buy a home. You couldn't buy a refrigerator without... I don't know what I would do to myself if a line formed and I had to tell people whether they could buy a refrigerator or not is a part of the calling. But that's the way it was. You couldn't marry without clearing it uh, through the elder or through the shepherd. And so this was the kind of stuff that, that, was, that was going on. And, and the, the common denominator of all of it is these are people who want to have a place and people's lives that should belong only to God. And that's a widespread problem. One of the big problems is that God's people are willing to give to man 
positions of authority and, and position of influence in their life that should belong only to God and not to another human being. And then the scary thing is when a leader will then take that and then take advantage of that. And you have entire religious systems that are hundreds and hundreds of years old and you have individual churches that are just weeks old where you have people at the helm in which they are competing with God for the control of God's people rather than pointing them to God and being a servant to them. And, of course, the antidote to all of this is servant leadership. And Peter mentioned in verse 2 where he said, serving is overseers. The realization as a leader is that I am not a mediator. No leader is. We haven't been raised up to fight with God for his place and the lives of Christians. We're just called to serve. So if the title is an elder, the title is a deacon, the title is a pastor, the title is a what, 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 all that means is we're the biggest servants in the church. That's what keeps us safe. That's all that it means is that we're willing to serve where maybe other people aren't willing to serve. There isn't a pastor on this staff, and there isn't a leadership person in this church that I could not go up to and ask, hey, would you get involved in this situation? And no matter how messy it is, whether physically dirty or uh, humiliating or whatever it might be to be involved in, how low we have to go to take care of that or a spiritual issue, that they wouldn't immediately jump and do that. And I'd do the same thing because that's what we are. We are servants. We are not little tyrants and little potentates carving out our little area of, of ministry and then, and then thinking that this whole thing exists so people can serve me rather than the fact of what it really is about, and that is that this exists in order that we might uh, serve you and to serve them. And it's very, very easy in Christian leadership to develop a, a sense of entitlement And it's a dangerous thing. And then he says in verse 3 that we are to be examples to the flock. So a lot of what an elder does is ministry of the word. There's a lot of talking and talking and talking. And it's all good. Teaching, counseling, ministry, prayer, all these things, the use of the mouth. But it's not just that. There's also the importance of then walking the talk. A lot of teaching happens from pulpits. But there are a lot of things that are just taught by example, and people watch an elder's life for that. I remember when I was a new Christian, Calvary Chapel in Napa, and uh, I didn't know a pastor from a telephone pole. I mean, the guy, the main guy up front, I understood that that was the main guy up front, but I thought all of the ushers were pastors. And here they are, they're seating people and they're taking the offering and all. I assume they're so I watched them all like a hawk. And not with a critical eye. I'm new to Christianity. I'm new to, and here's these are mature men and all, and I want to learn what's it supposed to be like. And so I watched them. And thankfully in that environment there was they they were spiritual examples. And so it's it should be that that way. Uh, anywhere where people can look at our lives and watch what we're teaching also be modeled. And an elder has to 
always be aware that, that they are being watched and, and that they have a responsibility that people see a godly character uh, when they are being watched. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. I have found God's people in general, and certainly in this fellowship, to be very, very gracious toward leadership. They don't expect perfection. But I think, and I think people will be very gracious to the average leader, but the leader has to continue to grow in their relationship with the Lord and grow as an example. If Christ is the standard, and he is, then there's always going to be room for growth in our lives as Christians until the day that we go to be with him. And nowhere is that more important than in the life of a leader. If a leader stagnates spiritually and becomes carnal and holds on to aspects of carnality in their life deliberately because they're not addressing them anymore. There will come a point where that will so frustrate the people because there's no progress there that they will scatter and they will leave. But it gives people hope to see progress. And all leaders, even though they're in a position of leadership, and especially because they're in a position of leadership, should always be growing as an example. And then finally in verse 4, here is the great encouragement that follows the exhortations. And Peter said, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That's the old joke among pastors. The pain may not be much, but the retirement package is out of this world. I don't say that it's always true, the retirement package is, but it's kind of a lighthearted joke, yuck, 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 uh, related to that. But that's basically what Peter is saying. Remember, he's writing to pastors who are pastoring in the mi- a body that is in the middle of tremendous suffering. And they're going to be the first ones that get burnt at the stake. They're going to be the ones that, that uh, face the earliest persecution or imprisonments and those kind of things. And so he reminds them that there's an eternal reward on the other side of this kind of faithful service. There's a, a couple that used to attend uh, our church. And they used to have a post, they had a poster up in, in their house and it had a picture uh, kind of of Jesus there. And the saying on the poster was of great interest to me. And, and what the poster said is it was the Lord speaking and Jesus saying, I never said it would be easy. I said it would be worth it. And that's what Peter is saying to these elders. They were pray, paying a phenomenal price to be faithful to what God had called them to. And he reminds them, that ultimately it is worth it and it will be rewarded. I personally do not know of a single pastor. I don't know them all, and my circles can be quite small. But I do not know of a single pastor who has pastored for some length of time who does not pay an enormous personal price 
to be faithful to the calling. And it isn't that I'm setting you up to send me boxes of C's candy, as wonderful as that is in its own right. Here's the point that I'm making on that. It's by God's design. It's, it's His work and his, his purpose. He does it. And so some people, leaders, are called to die in a moment's time, tied to a stake in a fire, lit at their feet, And then others die a day at a time, 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 all the way through the calling. And the reason that God does that, he did it with Paul, that thorn in the flesh, and God has a lot of thorns to use, is that it keeps us humble and it keeps us dependent upon the Lord and it helps us to keep our heads screwed on straight and to realize that his... His strength is made perfect in weakness. And then his, his life, his grace is shown through the life of a, of a leader because of the difficulty that he takes them through. And the difficulty is important. And so there's a lot of it. There's a price that's paid to be faithful to the calling. It can be a very painful calling. It can be a very thankless calling. Not for me, not at this church. But it can be for a lot of people. And so he encourages them that they're going to receive that crown of glory that does not fade away. Well, that concludes our pastor's conference here for today. And I want to conclude by thanking everyone who's in a position of leadership in this church. And you know me. I'm, I'm not a schmaltzy person. So this is the real deal. Just to say thank you for all of the people in positions of leadership in this church, whether it's the pastoral staff or whether it is men's ministry or women's ministry or children's ministry or youth or seniors or all of the ministries, the uh, complete in Christ all the way across to all of them. And to just say thank you for the serving with these kind of motives to serving with these kind of attitudes, I can only say that the fact that you do it that way makes it an absolute pleasure for me to be able to serve in my position in this church. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord, for your instruction. We thank you for what this passage does in our hearts. How it opens us up to understand other parts of the body of Christ that we may not be close to. And Lord, we thank you and I thank you so much for so many men and women who serve these capacities of leadership in all these different areas. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the motive that you have given us, just an opportunity to express our love toward you and to express a God-given love for your people. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a part of the body of Christ. Thank you again for this instruction. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.